Good morning. The scripture reading will be from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 22 through 35. Deuteronomy 1, 22 through 35. And it reads, Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkel and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large, with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you, as he did for you in Egypt, before your very eyes, and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you, as a father carries his son, all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you do not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey, in fire by night and in a cloud by day, to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give to your forefathers. Thank you. You may be seated. Great job. Great job. Tell me your name again. Aiden, that's right, Aiden. Great job, Aiden. <clears throat> well, I'm very grateful to be with you. I'm so appreciative of the opportunity the Lord has given us to worship together. Such a wonderful singing today. Thank you, Lynn, for leading us in that singing and the fine prayers. And Aiden, what a fine job reading the scripture. Such an excellent job. The, these young men just so are so amaze me at how talented they are and and uh, how capable they are. And Aiden, you've done a wonderful job in reading a rather lengthy passage in Deuteronomy one twenty two through thirty five. I remember the first time I read the scripture, I was a nervous wreck, but uh, Aiden was very cool and calm and collective, and uh, I just admire these young men. Wait on the table as they did today and. And uh, speak for us from time to time, read the scripture, lead us in prayer. And if you have an opportunity, take a moment to express appreciation to our young folks as they lead us in worship. What an important thing that is to lead lead God's people in worship. Had beautiful singing, wonderful, fervent prayers. And I just am humbled by the opportunity to be with you today and to speak about the greatest book in all the world, and that's our Bible. Last Sunday, we came together and we talked about the state of the church, and we do that each year. We talk about 
things that we want to uh, do for the future, some of our planning, uh, some of the things we've done in the past. And I thought I'd follow that up just a little bit with uh, this message that we have from Deuteronomy 1, 22 through 35. It's, in my judgment, a pathetic story. And I'll tell you why. Um, here they stood on the very verge of the border of the land that God had promised to give them years and years ago. And they looked at it, and they put their hands in their pockets, and they walked away. And they said, we can't do it. We can't do it. This nation glory, where God had providentially down to Egypt. There that family inhabited the land of Goshen. Joseph, the son, being second only to Pharaoh himself, paving the way for God's people to have that land. Now, through the Babylon, uh, Egyptian captivity, uh, this generation born and raised in captivity, and now through the power of God, God delivers them out of the captivity. He brought that terrible tenth plague upon all the firstborn of the house of Israel. And by that time, Pharaoh would say, go, get out. And they took their position. They left the land of Egypt. And you'll recall how that Pharaoh had to let that entire workforce walk away. He decided he'd go after them with his army and his chariots. And when they reached the Red Sea, why God calls the great waters of that uh, body to roll up on each side and the children of Israel pass through on dry land. But God destroyed the chariots of the Egyptians and Pharaoh's army. Exodus chapter 15, you have that great victory song of Moses. It's an amazing passage. We could have read that. Because it speaks so much about what happened, who God is. Let me pick one verse out of Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And yet saw that, God feeding them with the manna, why the very soles of their shoes didn't wear out, and God leading them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, led them down to the mountain where Sinai is located. The most celebrated sites, a place in the Arabic language called Jebel Musa. Jebel Musa is a mountain peak down in Sinai Peninsula, southern portion. Perhaps that's where it was. There they go to Sinai Mountain Range. And we're just not exactly sure where they went, but I suppose one location's as good as another. We know that it happened. And in God, there were two parts to the law. There were the Ten Commandments, 
Then there's also the book of the covenant, and they were to keep both. They had a covenant, law to follow. They became a nation for the very first time at Mount Sinai. And finally, God said, you've encompassed this mountain long enough. Let's head for Kadesh Barnea. And so the pillar of cloud would lead. And as they came to Kadesh, they said, let's spy out the land. Let's see what kind of land it really is. And Moses said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So he sent the 12 spies out to spy out the land from Kadesh Barnea. And as they did, he told them, he said, bring some of the fruit back and tell us about the lay of the land and tell us about the people and tell us about the cities and where they are. And they came back with a glowing report. Why, the fruit that they brought back was one cluster of grapes. It took two men to carry that cluster of grapes back, carrying it on a, on a pole with their shoulders. They said, the land's flowing. Really must have been compared to what they've been through in the wilderness. Well, they had problems with water. They had problems with food. They would complain about that. God sent them quail. And now, threshold of uh, this promised land. And it wasn't because Israel's so good. Israel murmured and complained all along the way and every step of the way. And they said, you know, wouldn't it have been better if we'd have been back there in, in uh, Egypt? King James uses the word flesh pots. They cook their meat in a type of pot. It would have been better if we'd been back there eating the leeks and the garlic rather than have to stammer around out here in this wilderness. And they complained and they complained. And now they stand on the very border of the land. And it's a beautiful land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, a figurative expression to describe the abundance that God has given the land there. But it is an also a land where the Anakim live. The Anakim are related to the Nephilim. They are giants. And their cities have great walls. And it looks like the walls go all the way up to heaven. And Caleb stopped and said, wait a minute. We can well able to take this land. We can do it. We can take the land. And they said, no. And they shouted Joshua and Caleb down. Said, we cannot take the land. And God was so angry with them. That he condemned them to wander in the wilderness for some 40 years. And no man 20 years and above was allowed to go into the land of promise. They became what I've seen others write about it, the lost generation. A whole generation of people lost out there in the wilderness, wandering from place to place as God would lead them and God would provide for them, of course. But at the same time, they died there in the wilderness, when they could have and inhabited the promised blessing, which God said will be yours. But they walked away. It's a pathetic story. The wilderness wanderings. And I have to ask them, why? A generation of people who saw so much. They saw the ten plagues. They saw that terrible tenth plague, the destruction of the firstborn. They saw the walls of that water rear up. And the children of Israel passed through on the dry land. They saw the manna. They saw the quail. And now they say, no, nah, we can't. Why? Why were they of such a nature? They were afraid. They were afraid. 
to do what God had told them to do. Fear enters into it. This ugly head of fear raised itself up so much so they just felt like we can't do it. We can't. In Matthew chapter 4, the New Testament, there was a great man of God there that couldn't do what he wanted to do because he was afraid. Jesus was walking on the water. He'd been up in the mountain praying, and he had sent his disciples, his apostles, out into the boat. They saw him coming, walking on the water, and Peter was so caught up in this, he said, have me come out and walk on the water too. And Jesus said, told him to come on. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. Now I'm in Matthew 14, I'm in verse 30 now. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink. Save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I have to ask the question, children of Israel, why did you doubt God? Why be so afraid? Here's a great man of God living with Jesus himself, and he was afraid. He said, Lord, save me. I'm going to die. Fear. Fear keeps us from doing what we need to do. Uh Uh-oh. Fear is a terrible, terrible problem that we face. Sometimes people are just afraid. And a whole generation of God's people were lost because they were afraid. Well, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants. And we can't do what God told us to do. And what was keeping them from doing it was fear. And what kept Peter from doing what he wanted to do was fear. And Jesus says, you know, that's a lack of faith right there. Why did you doubt? Sometimes the church of the Lord can be filled with fear and not do what told the church to do. And we can be filled with fear and not accomplish the great thing that stands before us because we're too afraid. Fear can grip the heart of all of us if we're not careful. You you know one of the great men of God in the Old Testament was the man Elijah. What a great man he was. He prophesied during the days of Ahab, who was a descendant of Omri. The Omri dynasty was a powerful family in the household of northern Israel at the time. There was Micaiah, and uh, there was Elijah, and also we'd have to mention the man Elisha. Elijah and Elisha and Micaiah, prophets during the days of Ahab. But Ahab was a wicked king. I often thought that Ahab, if he had half a chance, could have been a good king. Because he named his children Adaliah and Ahaziah and Jehoram, which are derivative names of the word Jehovah. And I thought, you know, this guy could have half a chance, but he married poorly. And his wife's name was Jezebel. And she was from the north. And she worshipped Baal, and she was going to have it her way. And Ahab would go, 
You'll remember how strong and courageous Ahab was. He was, uh, I mean, uh, Elijah. Elijah fought with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And what a wonderful story that was. He was a man of great courage and and a, a man that was a great man of faith for God. But once he learned that Jezebel was after him, he took off. And it's a rather pitiful sight to see Elijah under the juniper tree, filled with despondency and fear of Jezebel. The Lord comes to him, why are you here? And he says, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. She's killed all your prophets. I'm the only guy that's left. He says, no, I've got thousands that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one that's left. It was fear that was causing him to do that. And I guess the reason that I speak about Elijah at this point in time, and I think about Peter, and I think about others like that, is great men of faith sometimes have fear that keep them from doing what they want to do. What caused this generation in the Old Testament to be lost and to fail to embrace the blessings that God had in store for them? Fear was keeping them back. Fear has been a problem from the very beginning. In 2 Peter in the New Testament, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 and verse 5, he talks about what we've come to call these Christian graces. And in verse 5 he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge. Now that's 2 Peter 1, verse 5. But when you understand what virtue means, you understand that it means courage. Virtue is a kind of matter where you add to your faith. They were people of faith, but they also needed the courage to go right along with what they were to do. Now, Elijah was a great prophet of God. Peter was a great But there were times when they would fail to do what they really needed to do. I wonder if some of us can be that way sometimes. Children of God who are people of faith, but because we're afraid, we won't launch out and do what God has told us to do and thus forfeit the blessings God has in store for us. I tell you, a man who's filled with faith and courage or virtue. He had added virtue to his faith as Peter describes in Second Peter chapter 1. That's the Apostle Paul. He stands before Felix. Felix is people you can imagine, and I don't want to get into the specifics of his wicked life. He was a wicked ruler. A lot of those people were wicked rulers in that day and time, and I guess it's always been that way. There's always been wicked rulers who were ruling people, and this is one of the worst of the worst. Felix... And what does Paul say when he stands before Felix? This is Acts chapter 24. Why, he talks about righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. I see there's a man of faith that's added courage to that faith. He's not afraid. And he puts courage to that faith and he grabs hold of the opportunity and he's talking to a wicked leader and he talks to him about temperance, having self-control, which this man didn't have. 
and righteousness, what it means to live the right kind of life, and judgment to come. We're going to have to face up to the consequences of our decisions. Yet here's a man who had that kind of faith and had that kind of courage, and fear would not hold him back from doing what he needed to do. I'll tell you, a man of courage and a man of faith that we don't often think about. His name is John the Baptist. What a great man of faith that was. He came from the dead. And he had, uh, he looked a lot like, he reminded the people of Elijah because Elijah was this kind of way. Elijah's out there on the steps of the ivory palace of the king and he's dressed in camel's hair kind of clothing and a leather belt. Well, that's the way that John the Baptist came preaching and multitudes came out preaching and listening to his teaching and were baptized of John in the Jordan. Multitudes of people. You know, one time he stood before Herod now, there was a wicked guy, Herod, and he says to Herod, I want to tell you something. You're married to your brother Philip's wife, and you don't have any right to her. That's a man of courage. Fear didn't stop him. You know, ultimately, he was beheaded over that. He was cast into prison because the wicked woman that uh, Herod was married to, she wanted the head of John the Baptist. You know the rest of that particular story, the reason that I recount it for the present and think of it for the present, because that's a man of courage right there, a man who had faith and courage, and you can see it in his life. Fear didn't enter into it. I'll tell you another one that does come to my mind, that's Nathan the prophet. Now there's David the king involved in that wickedness with Bathsheba. And he goes before the king and he says, now you're the man. You're the man that did this. Now here is a man who was wealthy and had everything. And the wealthy man took what belonged to the poor man. And David flew into a rage. And you understand that story. And Nathan said, you're the man. That took courage to do that. Fear didn't enter into that. The lost generation was lost because of fear. Can that happen? To the church that belongs to Jesus Christ today, yes, it can. Let us not be afraid to do what God has told us to do. Let us not be afraid to do it and to live it. Sometimes we categorize sin and we kind of whitewash it. It's not as bad as we think it is and ought to be. You know, Revelation 21 and 8, this is a passage that ought to be marked in every Christian's Bible. And I know that I emphasize that quite a bit, but it is important. Revelation 21 and 8 is a verse you don't want to forget. Verse 8. And it's not a difficult passage to understand. We can understand Revelation 21 and 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, you're familiar with that verse, I'm sure, Revelation 21 and 8, but the one that topped the list was the cowardly, the fearful. The fearful is going to find the same as the rest of those sins that are enumerated in the passage, verse 8. Don't be afraid. How is it that we're sometimes afraid to do what God says? Sometimes people are afraid to obey the gospel of Christ and to be baptized. They're afraid to do that. 
Don't let that happen to you. Don't be afraid to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. The Bible tells us to repent of sin, Luke 13, 3, and confess our faith, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And it also tells us to be immersed in water for the remission of sins, and that's what the Bible says, and we know it. We know that. Don't be afraid to do that. Now, you don't have to. Sometimes people are afraid to come down front and be baptized. I'm, in, I'm so, so impressed come to teenage years and they understand the word of God and they want to be baptized and they come up in front of all of this crowd of adults and they're baptized into Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing that they do to show the courage that they can have to do that? Sometimes people are afraid to do that. But I want you to know this. The door to God's heart is always open and you don't have to obey the gospel during this particular hour. You can obey the gospel anytime you have the opportunity. And you don't have to be immersed in water in this baptistry here. You can be immersed in water in any facility whereby you're repenting of your sins and you're obeying the gospel and being baptized for the remission of sins. And the Lord's adding you to his church. You don't have to be baptized right here, right now. You can be baptized whenever the don't be fearful of being baptized. Don't be fearful of living the gospel. I taught a person one time, baptize them. They said, I was so afraid I couldn't live it. I was so afraid I couldn't do it. Don't let fear hold you back. Let us help you with that. And you will help us in living the Christian life. And we will study and we will learn as to what we are to do. Don't be a lost generation because of fear. One time one person said, I'm afraid I will stumble again. And I'm afraid that I'll go back into that sin. You might do it, but then you repent of that and you come out of it. And you confess your fault. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let God strengthen you. His word and pray for help and let us help you. And let us be considerate of one another to help one another. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. I know I need to teach my family members. I know I need to say this, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. Don't be afraid of talking to them. Don't be afraid of living it before them. Do not be fearful in doing what God has told us to do. There was a generation a long time ago that became a lost generation because they were afraid. And everybody's afraid. But strength, courage, faith will help us overcome the fear so that we can do what we know that we can do. I imagine it seemed like an insurmountable task. Here we're standing on the border and there are giants in the land and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua and Caleb was trying to rally the people and say, we can do it. God is on our side. We can accomplish this great thing. And so it is with the church of the Lord, with you individually and with us collectively. We can accomplish great things in the sight of God because God is on our side. And sometimes it seems as though that the way of wickedness is so strong. It seems like the way of ungodliness in our culture and our world is so great. But we can overcome that with God being on our side. The lost generation was lost because they fled from difficulty fled from difficulty, and is expressed for us in our passage today in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 28. Where are we going up? 
Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides this, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. It's going to be a difficult task. And I don't know that we can do it. It seems like there's always somebody magnifying the difficulty. Here the congregation needs to consider this. Here the congregation needs to do that. Here we need to consider particular matter. And there's always someone who comes along and wants to magnify the difficulty and make it greater. Now, it was no easy task for them to go and take the land of promise as God was giving it to them. But God was going to give it to them based on their obedient faith and his blessings. And it was not going to be an easy task for them. But why magnify the difficulty that they actually had to face? They still could get it done even though that it was a difficult task. I'll tell you the story of a man who faced a difficult task. And the people were just bent down eyes in the enormity of the problem. That's Nehemiah. If you haven't read Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 2, I think you ought to go out and take the time to read that. The children of Israel in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. You and I have studied a lot about that. But after the 70 years, God brings his people back to the land of Palestine and the land of Jerusalem. And the first ones to come back came under the leadership of Zerubbabel. That's Ezra chapter 1. And you go to that Old Testament book of history and you read about Zerubbabel in the book of Ezra, how that the king allowed the people to go back. And then Ezra brings another group of Jews back from captivity. That's Ezra chapter 7. And... As you read, a third group came back, and that was under the leadership of Nehemiah. So in these three comings, coming out of captivity, one of the great leaders of that day was Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And you know what occupied his thinking? Rebuild the walls. Rebuild the walls. And it was a to rebuild those walls because the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. The gate has been burned. And this is an important matter with regard to the safety of the city. We want to rebuild the walls. And we want, but the people had quit working. They thought the job was too big to rebuild the walls. We're just not able to do it. And when they tried to rebuild the walls, you know how the critics came to try to magnify the problem. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, he came, and they tried their very best to undermine the work that the group of God's people were doing at the time, and they would jeer them and make fun of them. Say, ah, you're trying to accomplish a task that's much too difficult. Why, if a fox jumped against the wall, he'd knock that wall down. The Kohathites and would not put themselves into the work. And when Nehemiah came, said, let us build this wall. We're well able to do it. It's a difficult task, but God is going to help us. And in 50 days, the city of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah says, because the people had a mind to work, and they built the walls. Was that a difficult task? It was a difficult task, but God was on their side. In Nehemiah chapter 4, I just happened to pick out a verse here, and he emphasizes through this fourth chapter. 
the difficulty, but God's going to deliver them. And he says in verse 6, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You'll find that passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 and the verses, verse 6. Even though the task may be a difficult task, it can still be done. Despite the naysayers, despite those people who say, ah, that's a difficult job, that's a difficult task. It can still be done with God's help. If God desires us to do it and if given us a responsibility, then we can do it. The athlete trains and trains and trains. And the training is a difficult thing. It is filled with stress. And it is a difficult thing for the athlete to build his strength to the point whereby he can compete properly in whatever game he's preparing for. And so it is with the church of the Lord. We can build the church and we can build the world. Today, yes, it is. It can be done with God's help. If the people have a mind to work, if the people have a heart and a mind about them, we can do this because God's told us to do it. I got another point or two I'm going to run by you here. Uh, just brief. They were a lost generation because they lost. People can do that. How do I know they lost? Because they thought of themselves as being grasshoppers in the sight of the Anakim. Their giants were grasshoppers. They lost their self-respect. They forgot who they were. They forgot the fact that they were the children of God. They forgot the fact that they had overcome Pharaoh and his army with God's help. And that is an amazing story, which I have been very brief with regard to the details. We could talk about all of the things that went on in that wilderness travel from Sinai, then to Kadesh Barnea, and the sending out of the spies, and how God was constantly with them and carrying them along and leading them by the hand. They forgot who they were. They were God's people. Not because they were so good and not because they were so loving, but because God chose them in his own divine mind. These are the people that I will bring to this place and create a nation from them so that the Christ will come from them. The salvation of the world will be made possible because of me using these people. And in his divine mind, he brought all this together. And through step by step, he brought this nation to the present place. And so we're just grasshoppers. We can't do it. We don't have the wherewithal to try to do something like this. Abraham Lincoln made a statement one time I read about it. He's one of my favorite presidents. You may not like Lincoln. I do. I guess my favorite president would have to be George Washington. There's never been a greater president than George Washington in this country, and we've had some great men, but Lincoln certainly was, was a great man. Lincoln said, I love to see a man proud of his country and so live that the country will be proud of him. And when I read that, in terms of how will that help me as a Christian, you know, I love to see members of the church who are proud of the congregation. And may they live so that the congregation will be proud of them. 
Now, I'm not using the word proud or pride in the wrong way. I'm using it in a good way. I love to see church members who are proud of the congregation in the right way. We love this congregation. We support this congregation because we're proud of this congregation. And we want to live so that the congregation will be proud of us. I don't want to lose my... I want to remember who I am. I'm a member of the Broadway Church of Christ. And I'm proud of that. Arrogant, self-centered way. You understand how I'm using the word proud. I'm proud of the fact that I'm associated and affiliated with this fine congregation of God's people. And may I so live my life that they will be proud of me and not bring reproach on this congregation of God's people. And I'll tell you what, if I brought reproach upon the church of the living God, I'll be going forward and repenting of that. And let these people know, I repent of my sin. I repent of the reproach I brought upon the people of God. Don't lose your self-respect. Remember who you are. And so live so that they will be proud of you. Did not Luke say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the early church, they were a people who were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you notice that he said in Acts 2 and 47, they had favor with all the people. They were looked well upon because of the way they lived. Don't lose your self-respect. Love the congregation. And so live that the congregation will be proud of you. Realize how important it is. This generation was lost because they lost that. They lost their self-respect and they said to themselves, we are grasshoppers here. We got no way of doing this. We cannot accomplish what God's told us to do. Oh yes, you could have. If they'd understood who they were. And I think this naturally, and again, I promise to be brief in the matter. Isn't it the case that they just lost their faith? They not only lost who they were, but there are people who lost their faith, and it was brought out to them. Deuteronomy 1 and verse 32, you remember us reading that verse? Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. I've got that circled Bible because I don't want to forget that. I've got it circled and I've got it underlined. The children of Israel failed in that generation because they failed to believe the Lord their God. They failed to believe it. I've often expressed the idea, and I felt like it is so true, that a lot of times our difficulty with Bible passages is not understanding it. Our difficulty is, are we going to believe it's true or not? If we really believe it's true, do we really believe that through the blood of Christ I've been forgiven of my sins? Do we really believe that? And how important it is to confess my faith not only before others, but every day that I live, and I think that's more the thrust of Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Do I really believe that when I'm immersed in water, that I'm immersed to receive forgiveness? Oh, what a wonderful day 
And what a wonderful act takes place. And when Paul says, Philippians chapter 4, 19, My God will supply all your needs. Do you really believe that? That God will supply. That God cares. That God loves. That God wants this fellowship with you. If we could just come to understand how much God loves us. You know, we sang about it just a moment ago. The love of God for us surely would cause us to grow in faith and to believe God and the promises of God. I'll tell you one of the things God's told us to do. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. Tell people what be in covenant relationship with God, to repent of their sins, to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And I'll tell you right now, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the Christ, my Lord and Savior, plays in my salvation. And I'm not ashamed of the fact that without Him there is no salvation. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That without the gospel, no life, and that you must believe it and obey it. It's not by my word that that is said, but it is by God's word that that is said. These are statements of faith. I believe them and have total trust and confidence in them. Because I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be part of a group of people who just put their hands in their pockets and walk away from the blessings of God. God is sitting and I say, now, I'm not that interested I'm more interested in other things. Repent of that. And become a child of God today. Won't you do that? If you need to repent of sins, won't you do that? While together we stand and while we sing.